0: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry,
2: and I'm Mary Beth.
0: Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
2: This week, our guest is Jeff Brown. He's a writer, director, and producer whose debut feature film, The Beach House, is currently streaming on Shutter. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: We're really of excited course. to talk to We're you about the so
2: beach. So excited <laughs> to talk to you about the Beach House. Um, because I think we both watched it at Chattanooga. We did, and Terry and I were talking about it from Chattanooga, and it is so good.
3: <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> J- silence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it's
3: it's been no, it's been it's this week has been really strange because it, it's been it's like such a personal thing, and even like film festivals, you know, it's it's not tons of people seeing it, and so then now this week it's like a lot of press and stuff. And it's, it's like, you're, you know, you're kind of sending off your, your baby to college. It's it's just, been it's it's very surreal. And I'm, I'm wrapping my little brain around it still, but like, (laughs) thank you. I'm so glad you guys saw it. I'm glad you enjoyed it and I'm thrilled to talk about it. Hell yeah.
0: But before we do get to uh, the beach house, how, how did you get into horror?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I've thought about that. You know, leading up to this, uh, you know, I've been infatuated with horror since I was a kid, since I was very young. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I remember even there were those horror books that were like Crestwood house. I think they were orange. I don't know if you remember those at all, but they were, each one was devoted to like a different universal monster. So there's like the Wolfman and there's, there are the, and and there was a ton of them in Oh my gosh,
0: I do remember these books.
3: They're really, they're super cool. You can still kind of find them. If you go digging, they're not that obscure, but the image, the imagery and the one I remember specifically was the Wolfman. and, And it had, Werewolf of London with Henry Hall, the, the older one, instead of the, uh, the Lon Chaney Jr. one. And that one really stuck out in my memory as something that I was just into. It showed pictures of the transformation. I mean, this is when I was a little kid. And then my father is was – a, a, a my, both of my parents are, are into movies, but my father in particular. And there was times when we were growing up that he would kind of show – not horror movies. Like I think one of the one of the many Brown family stories was when he tried to show Alien when it was on Cut TV and I got scared from the <laughs> from the opening credits and I was like, Dad, turn it off, turn it off. But I you know, I kinda blame him initially for anything with horror, but then as I got older, I you know, I, I stayed with it and I always loved horror films. And even when I was in high school, I think a lot of my friends that's what we kinda did. We would we'd go to the video store and just walk the aisles mm-hmm. and really just pick out different horror movies but I, I always loved them kind of through these books because I when I, I came of age in like the 80s and 90s and you couldn't necessarily find everything so like these mm-hmm. universal horror movies I never got to see until probably within the last you know 10 years as they, they become more you know easier to obtain but back then you you really couldn't see that so it was one of those yeah. things where I was kind of imagining the movies as opposed to, to actually watching uh-huh. them Oh, interesting. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, you know, and and then it got a little bit more advanced, I, I guess, as I got older. My the public library had a couple really great uh, books, and there was one in particular about fantastic cinema that went up to like 1984. And that book blew it blew my little mind, and it was like they had chapters on Cronenberg, on Romero, on on John Carpenter, and really some more obscure uh, films. I grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana, which is a is a college town and we had a, a decent video store, but it doesn't compare to like, I then went to, uh, I went to NYU undergrad. And so I moved to New York when I was 18 and I went to one of the video stores in, in New York. And that was just like. Mind <laughs> blown. Like, it was like, it was fuck? mind blown. It was just like giving a junkie crack. I was just, I went, went crazy <laughs> just seeing all these movies that I, I, I hadn't been able to see for years. I think while I was in film school, I kind of got away from horror a little bit. Uh, mm. I think I started the first couple projects I did in school were, you know, they were very disgusting and kind of horror oriented. But I, <laughs> I feel that like NYU kind of turns up their nose at horror, and I think NY New, uh, New York City indie film also does. Uh, you know, the the big exception is Larry Fessenden, but he's kind of his own like.
0: He's his he's, own, yeah.
3: Yeah, he he and he. He's not really. I mean, he was in the city, kind of in the '90s, but I think making making low budget movies in New York City is just uh, super expensive. So it kind of scares away a lot of horror films. But then mm. I, I got away from it in school, and then I, my, you know, kind of my my short film that I tried to make when I was an undergrad was was a was a disaster. And then <laughs> I, I kind of it kind of dissuaded me from making anything for almost ten years. And I, oh, wow. I was wow. just working in production and, and writing. It was really trying to find a way for me to, um, like get what was in my head, like out on the page, which was a, a struggle for a while. But then I, the way I kind of figured that out was I wrote something that was, that was horror. It was a very bizarro kind of short. And then that was, uh, it was nothing i have made, i have never made it, but it was something that I wrote. And that kind of got me back into writing fantastic, uh, mm-hmm. cinema. Cool. It's
0: it's so weird. A lot of the directors that we've talked to that went through film school seem to have the exact same experience, where the all of their professors turn their nose up against horror, or you know want them to tell like a boy and their dog type story or something like that. It's it's so it's so weird since it's such a big thing, and like we're seeing now, you know, as horror has matured a bit, that you can tell, you know. I...
2: I was i just um i went to grad school and undergrad and did film studies so i did like the writing part and mm-hmm. not the filmmaking part they also especially in grad school like no one had a specialty in horror like i had a really hard time finding an advisor because most people were like oh i specialize in like french film from the 1930s or like this 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 and this but it was i was like avant-garde filmmaking but it was no one ever really had any focus on horror which was so f- confusing to me and strange because i always got kind of got looked at weird for wanting to write scholarly work about horror films and i don't understand mm-hmm. like there's such important pieces like, uh, they're important cultural artifacts regardless if you think they're shitty or not and it's just very weird how like academia either film studies or like film school seems to still shun the genre
3: yeah i i agree i you know i'm trying to think as to why that might have why I think I I mean I went to film school in the in the late nineties and I think mm. horror was in a weird place then you know uh, okay yeah 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 that but but sense. there were some i mean I, I think now maybe especially in the last six or seven years you know i think the the caliber of the the horror i mean some of these movies like the robert eggers movies are just right they're really that's, real, not,
2: that's they're, not fair to anybody
3: <laughs> i know it's I, that's exactly like i watched the lighthouse and, and it wasn't it wasn't like my favorite movie of all time but i was just like oh my god that guy whoa <laughs> you know but um you know i i the, the, in the '90s, though, they, they were like very meta, and, and like Blair Witch Project is probably the most exemplary like horror film of that of that era in a weird way. Like the the, the '90s up into uh, September 11th, that film is not something you want to teach in film school, really. You know, it's like <laughs> why it kind of,
2: not? It, well, I mean, you could
3: you no, it, it, you could it it really it breaks. You know, it it should not work, and it that, that's like one of the you know one of the many things that, as to why it's a great horror film. It just it's you know it's it just works so well, and that's another thing. My my father's I was like, why can't you make that movie? And I was like, Dad, that's lightning in a jar. Oh my god! Hey,
2: why can't you make Blair Witch Project?
3: Uh, yeah, that's a lot of
2: pressure to put on my shoulders, my friend. Yeah,
3: no, that's the that's the brown house. But uh, oh god. And then Paranormal Activity comes out, and it's like, well, that's, you know, kind of the same thing. It's like, I guess lightning hits the jar twice, and it's like, oh, okay, all right, great.
2: (laughs) Found footage is not lightning in a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm obsessed with found footage, so I have a lot of feelings about it, so sorry. I just, I love found footage. But we will not talk about it. Again, I always go off on tangents about it. (laughs) I don't understand how it always happens.
3: Did you see, like, Mungo? Have you seen that? Oh, have I seen Lake Mungo? <laughs> That's such a good, weird found footage movie. I was like kind it of is. blown away by it. I, I don't I don't love found footage, but when it works, like it yeah, really it works. It does. Yeah.
2: Lake I showed Lake Mungo to my partner a couple weeks ago and he enjoyed it, but it wasn't what he was expecting, which I think is valid because it's like not at all what anyone probably is expecting when they see it for the first time. Because it's like such a weird Thing that seems so real, but like, because the way it it is like a pseudo documentary, it's a documentary, but not actually. Right? Oh, it's just so good! It's so so beautiful (laughs) and sad. Terry, stop laughing at me.
0: So um it, it, you went to film school but uh, were you interested in film from a from being a, a kid or how did you get interested in
3: I I was always interested in film and it, okay. it came it came to me I think like it was a a revel not a revelation but i i think i stayed the night at a friend's house and um my family we had those they they don't make them anymore but they were like leonard malton's video movie guide or mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 and, and roger ebert's like books of reviews like we had a bunch of those in my house and i think i went to a friend's house i was like well where are your you know where are your video movie guys and like what are you talking about <laughs> and i was like you, you guys don't you know how do you look up movies and they're like what do you mean? And I was like, oh, okay. I guess that that's a, you know, it, it was just one of those like, it was something that was kind of easy. I found, I remember movies. I could, I, I used to really, really know them. It's now that there's so many films, I'm not quite as sharp as I once was. But at that time, I could just, I really, I really knew the movies. I knew who directed them. I knew who acted in them. And it was just this kind of like, it, it was just so easy for me. And then I think really the moment that I, I really tried to, take it seriously as there was an article in that magazine film threat about yeah. di- different film schools. And I remember putting that up in my locker and that, Oh my God, that could have <laughs> been like in sixth grade. I mean, I was really, really young. And wow. I think that was like, it was a chart about all the different film schools at that time. It was, you know, talking about which ones are good, which ones were worth your money, which ones were expensive. And, and I was always like, you know that that was that was kind of one of the earliest things I can remember about wanting to get into film, and you know it, it also it's like you know the Star Wars movies and and Raiders of the Lost Ark were just part of my my family. And, you know my brother and I yeah. were, were very much into to movies. Together, we would keep track of how many times that, you know they say fuck in movies, which was oh not- hell yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's just we, we would do weird things. You know we we're we we're my brother and I were kind of strange kids. You know it was it just kind of grew into this thing, and then you know the going to film school where my parents were always dubious of it. Cause I, you know, in Indiana <laughs> m- making movies is not, nobody does that. Like what? at that time, I think that, you know, things could have changed, but um, yeah, you know, it was, you know, might as well have been on, on the moon. You know, we had no, I had no idea how, how movies were made it's like i th- I remember the first day of film school where i found out that film and sound were separate because you know on the old video cameras <laughs> yeah they were the same i was like oh man i'm in so far <laughs> over my head i'm, do- I'm i am so- in trouble <laughs> i am doomed and then but i realized that you know even the ones who pretended like they knew what they were talking about were all they're all full of it anyway so yes
2: correct <laughs> Um, were your parents like super into movies? It sounds like they were since you had guides all over your house.
3: Definitely. Okay. I, my, I think my father initially, and then I think as I got more, deeper and deeper into it and they saw that this wasn't, it wasn't going to go away and I wasn't actually ever going to really grow up. Uh, I think my mother, <laughs> my, my mother got more into it too. And, and now she, I mean, she kind of gravitates much more towards like, you know, indie films or character driven films. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad is, you know he, my dad's favorite movie is Casablanca so he's a he's okay. a big Old, you know, he likes older movies, but he also likes you know big action movies and
2: okay, you know that.
3: But they're yeah, they're definitely into it, and then they've they've encouraged it and they're always excited, uh, you know, to hear about whatever movie I was working on or or things like that.
2: That's so cool. Have they seen the beach house?
3: Oh yeah, they were at the uh, the U.S. premiere in in Brooklyn. It was oh
2: amazing,
3: I, and they they liked it. You know, they they said they liked it. So yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, but the, yeah, they were very, you know, they're, they're very happy. It's like, this is kind of a long time coming and they, they've heard about it for years. So it's like, finally they, they got to see it. And it was a lot of people that they knew, like a lot of my friends were there. And it, I think it was a really great, uh, night for, for the Brown family. And, uh, Aww. my, my, my brother hasn't seen the movie yet. So he's going to watch it tomorrow night. And I'm kind of like, I, I you know, he's, it's, there's like, my brother and I have a weird language almost where it's it just consists of kind of references that we that only the two of us understand. And, and there's a couple of things in the movie that I think are in our language, but I can't quite tell. You know, oh my
2: a, god, I love that.
3: Yeah, it's it's weird. So <laughs> maybe, cool. maybe I can't remember if there is now. I watch. I'm going to watch it again tomorrow night too, and kind of you know, kind of celebrate it. And then, uh, but I'm going to keep in – you know, kind of text my brother if it's like. Dude, that's like when we were kids.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. amazing. Um, So, Jeff, you're talking about all the movies you've worked on. So you are a location manager for a lot of movies. Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) Can you tell us (laughs) what it means to be a location manager for a film? I mean, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but I would love to hear from you, like, what the specifics of that that position really is. Uh,
3: The location manager is is the liaison between the production and kind of the real world. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the description, the real world. It, it's like you, you're kind of defending that you're protecting the production in a weird way because- Oh,
2: interesting.
3: It's Especially in New York. I mean, all of this is based in New York City, which is a very- specific place to film and Mm -hmm. has Mm -hmm. its own sense of challenges that I don't think are replicated anywhere else in the country. I I mean, all city filming is going to be kind of similar in a weird way, but I have no idea what it's like to film in LA. Uh, I I can only imagine. So I'm hired. I would read this. I'm hired very early on in the process and I would read the script and kind of do a breakdown based on all the locations and work very logistically in terms of the schedule and kind of the constraints. And then I would either have scouts or scout myself and try to start presenting options to the production designer. And then he's kind of the first wave of offense. And if he if he likes something, I might scout twenty things. The production designer will like five, and director will probably like two or three. And mm-hmm. then it was it's it's a it's an extremely stressful job because then once yeah. after we, After you've picked the locations and you have to deal with contracts, insurance, um, you know, I have a budget, it it would be all those sorts of sorts of things. And and dealing with filming in the city, it, it, you know, it it can get pretty, pretty crazy um, just because you have so many mouths to feed in in such a weird way. And and yeah, I I kind of fell into it after, you know, kind of not making the best student film ever made, which was my goal. And then... (laughs) I, you know, I started at the bottom. I interned. Uh, that was one of the benefits of NYU is just having and an, being able to intern. Although I don't know if they still have interns because I think there was a lawsuit about not paying people. So I don't, I, I don't know if people still intern at, at production companies. But when I did, there it was independent film in New York was very. Uh, it was kind of still after what I consider the wave of Sundance. There was mm. like a there's like a, a sonic boom of independent film in like eighty nine to ninety two. And then it still filtered down when I started, which was I started kind of working 1999 2000 as okay. a PA, and then I, I was there was a, a time in this kind of plays into the beach house when I was when I started there was a company called Indigent that was run by a, a filmmaker named Gary Winnick who since passed away. Their thing was modeled on the Dogma 95. Do you remember oh, that?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: So yeah like the celebration was like the the first one, and that was kind of a big okay. one when I, when I was in film school you know about kind of really minimalizing all the parameters you know you had to use practical locations you had to not use lighting you'd use, yeah. like, you know no dollies indigent did a kind of a similar thing, but it was much more about there weren't really aesthetic rules it was more kind of economic, and so you they mm. made their whole thing was. You make the film in 15 days. The budget is like 150000 to shoot, then like maybe 150000 to finish. And the whole crew and cast get $100 a day in exchange for percentage points on the movie. Mm-hmm. And so Indigent made a bunch of these movies right around when I was kind of getting started, which is in 2000, 2001. And their first one was this film called Tadpole, which was sold then at Sundance for a huge number, you know, against its $300,000 budget. So that was kind of, then all of these indie films were like, we're using the indigent model, which was a, you know, a creative way for producers not to pay people. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> most of the, most of those movies that, and these are not, they weren't indigent specifically. It was like different companies would be like, we're going to pay everyone a hundred dollars a day, just like indigent. But then, Indigent had some connections and they had really great casts. And so, uh, one of the first films I managed was pieces of April with Katie Holmes, um, yeah. which is and, uh, Peter oh, Hedges yeah. was the director, not genre at all, but it was, uh, it was an extremely stressful experience for me. Cause I think I was like 23 or 24 and I had zero idea. Nobody told me how to location manage. I kind of, oh
2: no, yeah,
3: it was, it was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> so wow. we, yeah, I survived. And then, um, eventually over time i think then i was i became an i would i managed that but then i was an assistant manager on spider-man 3 which was a massive massive uh production and that's when i was going to
2: say how was i saw that on imdb and i was like i wonder what that was like
3: cuz i it was huge movie yeah, like just like scope-wise it's huge it, it was huge i mean it's it's not a great film you know let's be honest <laughs> I don't i don't think <laughs> You said it, anyone, not us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen it in years, but it was... I haven't
0: either.
2: <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really a, want to. I think I'm okay.
3: Yeah, I'm not a huge superhero fan anymore. I kind of, I, yeah. you know... Anyway, it was it was totally different, but the, the thing about it was that our location manager uh, was a, a man named John Fidenich who still is around, and I kind of saw how he managed and then then i realized oh there is there's kind of a way to do this and and it's also kind of one of the things about filmmaking I, there is no way there there's only approaches like there, yeah there's there's no rule book to it and even with production and locations you just the, the best it's kind of a bluff game you like always have to look like you're not stressed even though you are and then it's kind of uh, there's a and, and there there's some similarities with with directing but not really but uh, you know, a little bit of the the structure of filmmaking is, is it needs to be fluid. You need to be able to adjust to things, even on a huge movie like you know Spider Man Three. Like, if it rains, they're not shooting in the rain. They're not right. that you know. They, yeah, and you can't stop that. But it was you know really dealing with massive crowds and dealing with stunts and special effects and and you know they previs wow. everything. So seeing how digital effects kind of kind of play into it, and and I think that that was even kind of early in the whole like previs and digital effect thing. Mm. So I I think it's just much Mm. more advanced now, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, that was kind of my edgy. I have like different film schools and like, that was like film school number three that working at the video, I worked at a video store in the West village as well when I was in school. All right. Sounds good. So, so yeah, so it's (laughs) like that was film school number two. So I I have a lot of, I have a lot of film schools.
2: (laughs) That's amazing though.
3: (laughs) But so
0: you did all of this and then you finally did The Beach House. How did you – you, well, first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about The Beach House for those that might not have seen it yet?
3: Yeah, The uh, Beach House is a you know, science fiction horror film about two couples who find themselves uh, unwittingly at uh, the same off-season beach house and then weird things start happening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes.
2: And how- listeners, we're going to talk about it and then have a spoiler section. So we'll put the time codes of that in the description of the podcast. But we're going yeah, to get we'll into spoilers know. and we'll let you know when we start talking about
3: spoilers.
0: But how did how did you come up with this idea?
3: Yes, please. You know, so I, I, I thought about that a bit because I've had some kind of not great responses uh, to it. <laughs> but so I, I, there's two parts of it. One is based on a, a production, kind of a boring like, the necessity is the mother of invention and kind of knowing what goes in these, those indigent movies. I always wanted to make an indigent horror movie. And so I think oh. the, the producer, Sophia Lynn, who was involved with some indigent productions at that time, but we both came from the New York indie film world. And mm. she and I, in our earliest stages, like what, you know, how can we do, a, you know, a very, very small, intimate film. And so kind of the parameters of, of four characters in one location. And right. uh, I had toyed around with that idea even back when I was doing the indigent things, but the script never quite, it never quite worked out or it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't quite here. And then we met, I think it was around 2011. when we started talking about trying to make our own small film. Cause I think I was getting, I, you get kind of frustrated working on, on movies in, in the locations capacity especially on low budget films. Cause you really, it is, it's very hard on the crew. You know, you, you're really yeah. sacrificing a lot. And, uh, after you make a couple that, that are not good and you're, it's one of those things where I was like, well, I can, you know, I can do something better than that. And so then it was kind of time for me to put my money where my mouth was. Mm-hmm. Sophie and I talked about that and I, I wrote the script I started writing in 2011. We wrote a lot of drafts before we actually wound up shooting in in 2017. So there was that. And then I I remember a story my mother actually told me when years ago, and I can't remember when she told it to me, but her family, her, her father and her two brothers went up fishing. And this must have been in the 50s in a cabin in Minnesota. And they, they were like retired for the night and they'd been drinking beer. And my grandfather woke up in the middle of the night and to go outside to pee. And he realized when he went outside, he, I think he threw up or he passed out and he realized that there was a gas leak in the, in the cabin and he got his sons out. And that was, so that, so that element of, of the gas leak in this remote house, you know, and I thought about it kind of the last, you know, today, this morning, kind of, thinking about where did this come from really and i think that that's a big part of it because there is that element in in the beach house of a of a scene where you know the characters are not just seeing things they're also smelling them and Mm -hmm. they start feeling sick yeah so it was kind of like taking that and making it the biggest gas leak you know and the most dangerous (laughs) gas leak Ever <laughs> so now. <that was, laughs> the world's know. most dangerous gas leak. Like, <laughs> I, ex- I mean, you know exactly. <laughs> I you
2: love know, that it.
0: Was, that was one thing that I, I realized this uh, second time watching it to prepare for this podcast is that it's, it does a very good job of explaining the different senses. Like I could, yes. I could almost like smell the the smell that based on all the characters talking about it and the the when the water they turn on the water and it mm, comes out all yes. oily and, and like it's it's just. It's a very, um, like not sensual and sexy, but like sensual in like the feelings. Like there's so much like different senses to it.
3: Yeah, and, and that was definitely one of one of my my goal, one of my objectives or goals or whatever you want to say or, or approaches was that you know I, I definitely feel I wanted to. I like experiential films. I don't mm. like you know I, I'm. Voiceover in movies can be good, but I, I don't. I typically don't like that. I, I do like movies that really put you in it, and which is, I think, actually a, kind of a trend. It's like these war films that are coming out are very much like experiential. But that was, you know, I wanted to be sensitive, uh, and I think it's a very textural film, and mm, um, yes, that was, yes. you know, the, the texture of all of the senses. Uh, and, and even what they're eat, they eat and they smell things and you hear things and they, they taste things. And it's like the texture of the wood and the texture of the water. It was just some of these kind of aesthetic things that I wanted to, uh, you know, utilize and, and kind of exploit in the movie. But that's another – it's like kind of texture in movies. I'm, I'm very – I'm sensitive to it. I, I I like it. I think that that's always a key to movies that – you know, even like film grain and, and, and when we get yeah. into – when we get into pet cemetery we're going to talk about kind of some of my some of my triggers and that that I hit in both both the the remake and the original that I was kind of like eh. but uh you know I, 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 that's something that's with our working with our director of photography he also responded very well to the texture and I think we went to go see the French film Raw the two of us went oh, to go yeah. see that in the theater and and because I really love how your a lot of European films look, I think that that style of, of cinematography I really appeals to me. And I kind of was like, you know, I, I would be like, can we do that? You know, I pointed a, a picture I was like, can, can you do that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. I was like, okay, great, all right, you know. <laughs> but that that was. Uh, yeah, you know, that was of, uh, we the DP and I went and saw we went to some concerts. We saw a bunch of movies together as part of the prep.
0: That just reminds me of of one of my favorite scenes where like not a whole lot happens, but it's the scene where one of the characters starts walking out to sea.
2: Oh, my God, Terry, that is also my favorite part. Should we just do a spoiler warning now?
0: Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So OK, <laughs> everyone's
2: spoilers. If you haven't watched The Beach House yet, skip ahead we'll to put- the time code we put in the podcast description um, and watch the beach house on Shutter. Why yes. haven't you watched it already? Um, <laughs> anyway, when Mitch walks into the ocean, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. It is literally so ha- like that entire sequence on the beach it is so haunting and so beautiful.
3: I, it, yeah, th- thank you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm so glad it worked. I mean, I think that actually that scene is one of the key reasons. I think in it, I think why our pro- one of our producers who is kind of the key to it getting financed. I think he really responded to that scene in the script mm. and and he had read it i think a couple of years before he actually got involved and when he kind of when it circled back around to him he read it again and he was like you changed the dialogue in that scene it doesn't work as well he's like do you still have the old draft and you should go back to Mitch's kind of dialogue at that. And and he, cause it, it really, that was something that I think really resonated with him.
0: Yeah.
3: And, and then I, I went back and took that and, and kind of, that's what we, you know, that's, what's in the film. But yeah, it was, you know, Cape Cod is again, taking advantage of the location. Cape Cod has some of the, the most oh. drastic tides in the world. And so, you know, that, that scene, you know, a lot of the things about the making of the movie, it kind of comes off, Easy, you know. It seems easy, and really, it was actually extremely difficult. Like, we didn't. We only had two days of or two or three days of sun in the entire oh, shit. shoot schedule, oh, and wow. so that was like we're running down to the beach and shooting those scenes with Mitch. You know, we had to time the tides. So when we shot that scene, our AD was like. You, you we have to shoot this at nine thirty or we're gonna miss it and and it was like we were shooting other stuff and he's like yeah, it's nine twenty five it's like he's he's going in the ocean we got we got to do this he's
2: going in the ocean get and, him in the ocean
3: and, and the the funny thing was is that the locations guys the the two guys the manager was named Travis Scott and then the, the scout who just was one of my friends who who just kind of showed up uh, he drove out to Cape Cod and was like I'm here to, I'm here to help out and I was like oh my god it was one of the, it was a great moment this one of our uh, scouts named Tom Whitten. and the two of them. Travis was a was a surfer, so he wore a wetsuit, and they did a photo study of him walking out into the ocean for a day
1: to time
3: where he was, you know, where his head went up. And he brought all the pictures back. It was one of those holy shit, yeah. It 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 really worked well, but it was you know it it was another one of the many things on this that was a very fragile kind of delicate thing that that just it. When you watch the the finished product, it it really seems like it was easy to do and. It was actually not easy at all. And the water was freezing. I think Jake Weber wanted to kill me. I
2: don't think you. Yeah. That was actually on location in Cape Cod. Like there were no waves like that.
3: Yeah. That was. I mean. That that is
2: amazing. That's so funny because my partner watched the movie with me and he was like, I want to go where there's no waves. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't look real. I'm like, I'm going to ask him that exact question when we actually talk because it is such a. It's so it seems so weird. Yeah. I,
3: Cape Cod is a very unique, beautiful place. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of, um, the, the painter Edward Hopper did a lot of, of mm. paintings of, of kind of the the area that we were filming in. And, and we were kind of saying that it was the movies like Edward Hopper, uh, goes to hell. And, <laughs> and so, uh, but the, the, there's the, the ocean side, which is much more typical ocean, you know, it's very rough and, uh, there are sharks and we saw seals, you know, on the, on the oh, other cool. side. But then the side that the house is on is the bay side, and the bay side is much calmer, oh, and, and they have those okay. drastic tides. Okay. But yeah, it's just another thing where the, the script is kind of loose enough that we could take advantage of some of these natural things, which was definitely a goal I had when when writing it. Um, you know, just pay attention to you know to the to the elements, and we were really at we were really at the mercy of the elements when we were shooting it, which is kind of plays into some of the themes of the movie.
0: Yes, and that the scene, that whole scene is is such a, a perfect moment because it is sort of like the turn of the movie where all of a sudden we have to. I mean, we got to talk about the foot.
2: We got to talk about the foot. Yeah,
0: Well <laughs> let me tell you that I I am someone that walks barefoot like constantly, and that scene makes me want to never walk barefoot ever again. Uh, yeah.
3: It's it's one of those like for me, it's like, what's, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not as nervous, but, you know, swimming in the ocean when you see a jellyfish, which I've mm. seen many times and you're always like, well, I don't want to touch that. That would be disgusting. And it's like, well, what's the worst scenario for experiencing a jellyfish? And I was like, well, stepping into a massive one, you know, that, that it's, it's kind of like, what what's the worst that could happen? Which, you know, I think is a, a big thing for horror writers and directors mm-hmm. is like, what is the absolute worst thing? And that to me would be uh, that would be it, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, if that, the, the, it's supposed to be. I wanted the movie to have you know two distinct halves to it, and mm-hmm. there's actually a shot not to give too much away. Well, I get we can we can spoil. we the
2: spoiler <laughs> section, so it's fine. The,
3: the The camera's on its side, and that's when the movie literally <gasps> oh, turns. Yes, oh. when she's that,
2: like, "Oh fuck!"
3: Yeah, it, it's it's and it's it might be at the exact midpoint of the movie, which is kind of weird. But uh, that crazy. was something that. That, it was one of the shots that it was kind of in my head, you know, everyone kind of, everyone brings a lot to the production and, and those were a couple of things that I really wanted. There's a wide shot of Emily on the beach. That was another one where I was like, that's, yeah. we have to do that. We have to do that. And uh, her climbing up the stairs is another mm. shot that yes. I wanted. Iconic. Yeah. Right, and, and, and the, um the, the, the sideways shot was another, one cause I was like, there, there's a, a lyric where it's like, the, you know, the world's turned upside down. And that was always kind of playing in my head when we were shooting it, even though I hadn't really thought of, uh, the song, which is I think by the band talk, talk, it, it wasn't something I thought about consciously, but when we were shooting it, it's like, yeah, the world's turned upside down. And that's literally what, what I wanted uh, to happen. And the, the, the foot scene is you know it's supposed to the viewer should be a little complacent i think at, at by that point when when she steps on the the jellyfish the the volume of the movie changes you know it gets mm-hmm. very loud and it uh, does i wanted it to be jarring and it, it it's you know part of is it, it was very intentional to to do it that way and you know thankfully the uh the producers were more open to a kind of a more experimental approach to the to the script having it you know, be kind of two acts as opposed to like a more traditional structure, which I'm kind of sick of in movies anyway. It's yeah, like, yep. you know, uh, we, we can we can move beyond the three acts or, or you know whatever, however they teach it in film school these days. I don't quite know, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. And then the the foot scene was another thing. It was really. Uh, it's how it kind of is in the in the script, you know. It really came close to it. You know, a lot of things are not how they were in the script, but that that's one that was uh, pretty pretty close. And uh, it was a very rough day of shooting. I think we did our most setups that day. But Liana was a, you know, she was a she's a total champ. She sells the hell out of you know, uh, every yeah, screen. She, she
2: really does. Like I thought, there was a real fucking giant worm in that girl's foot. Like, good lord.
3: Uh, they, you know, they, maybe they're what? No, I'm just kidding. But, uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Method acting. We put an actual Syndrome worm verity. in her foot. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. You know, <laughs> she. Uh, but she was a super trooper. And it as towards the end of the shoot, when we started getting into the more, you know, grotesque stuff, I, I don't really remember. It's weird. The shoot is like one big blur to me. You know, yeah. I, I don't. I can't. I can't be super specific to it. And it was. It, it's very. It's actually remembering it as kind of dreamlike anymore. Yeah, she. You know, she. We did a lot. It was a lot of lot of shots, and we had our. It's like our our makeup artist, who also had a background. uh, Her name was Jennifer Suarez, and she kind of dealt with like kind of the on the face and and bloody and sweat. And then our uh, effects team was uh, Pete Gerner, who works with a a man named Brian Spears. Does a lot of the New York uh, horror, and I think they do the Marvel shows when they when those were shooting here too. But, and they do a lot of Larry Fessenden stuff. I think that they kind of, that's where they started. And I would, I drove up to, uh, Brian's house like twice. And it's just like, it, it really is like just filled with, with heads and gore. And it's, it's a really, it's it's a really cool place. And then Pete Gerner was his guy that was on set. So Pete and then our production designer, Paul Rice, Uh, kind of made a lot of the jellyfish and he he was really into the worms. He kind of made actual worms. He's a puppeteer. And so when we were shooting that, it's like Liana's sitting there and four dudes are like putting things on her foot and, and it's like, you know, ready to go. And we we did all that. It was, it was, you know, very, uh, very chaotic, but we could feel it when, when we were shooting it, like uh, the producers were, you know, producers are pretty can be pretty stoic and, and kind of keeping their, their cards close to their chest, but even when we were shooting that, they were all just all thumbs, like <laughs> well, put a little more blood in that one. That that's looking good, guys. And it was you know, it's pretty funny actually, like when we were shooting it. But yeah, it's it really and even the editor, our editor is named Aaron Crozier, who also has done a lot of horror films. I think he cut Girl on the Third Floor, which uh
0: Oh yeah, that's what, a great movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, I liked it. I
3: love that movie. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I was kind of uh, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about the trailer, but then I watched it and I was like this is not at all what I thought it was going to be and no. I really I really really liked it, but he, you know, he cut that and he he really put that scene together very very well. I think that, you know, that was one of the first things that really came together with the movie and even the score, I think, Rolly's score. Uh, you know, there were some other scenes that were very difficult, music-wise, uh, because you kind of have to go from zero to sixty very, very quickly. And uh, but that scene, his sound was it was it was one of the things where he got it kind of instinct instinctively, and just it stayed the way he initially did it throughout. But there was no tweaking. Uh, so it, and and it just. Every, when I watch it with an audience, the audience is just cringing. And that was like totally the goal of the movie. So, woo, <laughs> way to go. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you guys like the movie. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: But, you know, it you, it does kind of lead into something that I am curious about because you said you filmed this in 2017. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's correct. It's so weird because we we both uh, – Mary Beth and I both watched this during the the virtual – chattanooga film festival that i was hoping to attend right in person this year before everything happened Mm -hmm. and it's so weird watching this movie it adds it kind of adds to the the nihilistic feel of some of the the things that happen in this movie when i'm turning on the news and i'm looking outside and i can't leave the house
3: yeah.
2: Surprise! A pandemic made your film somehow <laughs> even more relevant. That's
3: scary yeah. <laughs> and terrifying. It, it, yeah, it's yeah, it's scary. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that for me, one of the more I was I was thinking more about climate change actually than any pandemics. But I think oh, yeah. yeah, that makes I a lot think, of sense. But pandemics kind of come with uh, you know, climate change, and and there's also I I keep bringing even the movie I don't think is ironic. I think the movie is a very kind of straightforward movie it's not you know it's not a self-aware but there is a there's a savage irony to to kind of going to vacation places and getting sick and that was Mm. another Mm. thing that has happened to me not just in international traveling but i you know i went to i think a bachelor party when i was a kid not when i was a kid but when i was younger (laughs) um in vegas and it was going from very very hot to these you know, air conditioned hotels where I I got, I got sick. Oh wow. Yeah. And it's one of these things where, you know, you, you, you kind of prepare to have a good time or to, you know, or have a a good date or, you know, something like something romantic is just ruined by the weather or ruined by the food or, you know, I think that happens a lot. And so that was another thing that I wanted the irony of, of this vacation Um. that's supposed to go on forever. And now, you know, we're on vacation forever in, 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 in real life. Um,
0: well, and he, the, 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 the male character even wants to continue this vacation, like forever at this, at this place. We, you know, Randall wants to like not have the kid, like not have her go to school. Like, why don't we just stay here forever? And then. Meh.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I, that and Randall's character—you know, I, if everyone, I'm seeing that people aren't crazy; they don't like Randall. And I, I was going to not- say, how was
2: it like writing one of the most like asshole-ish boyfriend characters I've ever seen in a horror movie? And I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I mean.
3: I, the- you there's a lot of me and Randall, so I'm a little like, oh no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 not not that. I mean, not in uh, that sense. Put it open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> no, no, no. But there's a lot of me and Emily as well, and there's a lot of me in the older character. You know, I, yeah. I, I think I, you know it is. It's coming from me, and, and they're all kind of they're It's like a mirror of the same. You know, they're all, they're all representing different different things in my head, and yeah. Uh, I think that there is you know something about rejecting adulthood, there, especially for for people who are privileged, I think that that's another aspect to the movie where Mm. if you have a beach house in your family, there's going to be some money there. I mean, and so I I think that something in in America, especially right now, I mean, not especially right now, but um, something about, you know, what hard work and whatnot. And and then you have people that are born into money and have privilege and, and don't ever have to work. And so, you know, what's the concept of work then? Like, what do you do? Like, and he's he's kind of got it made and, and yeah. to, to have someone that doesn't see that is, is, he's just like, you know, why would you want anything else? This is, this is beautiful. This is perfect. This is, you're on the ocean. We can, we can live here. We can do this. And, and I think that there's a seduction and it's another thing about seducing the, the, the viewer to this environment and that just having it, you know, the fragility of life, the fragility of society at, at the drop of a hat, it can go from, uh you know, everything stops and that, that's kind of, you know, and, and I, I was thinking about that a little bit too. Also that in, in I've lived in New York now since 1996, I've experienced, I lived through September 11th. I've been mm-hmm. through yeah. a blackout. I've been through two hurricanes and now it's like we've, we can put a pandemic into it, but in all the those situations, the social order stops. It just, it just stops. Yeah. And it, it's a drastic change from what has been going on. And there's, and I also thought of it like a car accident where, you know, you never prepare for a car accident. And then if you get into one and it's horrible, but that's, that is the rest of the day. If you survive, you know, hopefully you survive, but like the rest of your day is going to revolve around that, that event. And that was something that I wanted this. There's a sense of an accident or something that is not telegraphed by script structure, which, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I wanted to be completely jarring. Uh, You know, and as much as, you know, I think that there's – it might feel like the two halves don't – are totally separate, but they really aren't. They really mirror each other. They play off each other. Kind of there's – if you kind of observe how the characters move, they're actually – doing the same path just in two different houses in both halves of the movie. It, it, but, you know, it's mm. – these are the things you notice when you've watched the movie 200 times. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, hopefully uh, uh, there's a truth to the film that, you know, the fact that it, it does – it it does reflect what's happening right now is, is you know, it, it's horrible. And and I think – I thought about it like I would not write the movie now if, if – you know, it's like would you write this movie – right now, you know, starting during the pandemic. And I, I don't think I would, I, I think that it, it's for me, film is an escape and it's a fantasy and it's a dream. And my, my dreams are, are you know, it's, it's conceiving of the future, not just in terms of the, the future in front of us, but also the future of, of, of my life. Cause if it's like, if mm-hmm. I can get the money to make a movie, that's going to consume me for a while. So it's, it's, you are kind of, you know, predicting the future in a sense. And it's just, it's just horrible that that's, how, you know, how the movie resonates right now. It's just mm. a horrible, horrible yeah. irony. Wow.
1: But yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, Terry, what have you been watching recently?
0: So just briefly, I watched this this movie that felt, it, it's really weird to watch after watching The Beach House, because in some ways, there's a lot of similarities to the first part mm. of the movie. It's called The Rental.
2: Okay. Mm. Dave Franco's movie,
3: right? By Dave
0: Franco. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> it is about... Two couples that they, they rent this vacation home on the side of a beach. <laughs> they do drugs. Hell yeah. And they have stuff that happens, interpersonal problems that are going on between the four of them. And then something happens. So it's it's so weird to see uh, this movie come out, and I'm like, I'm seeing a little bit of similarities between the two, but then both movies go in completely. Different directions, and I, I I love that about film that you can watch something and you can like see some of the some of the things that are like oh this is similar to that this is similar to that but then they just diverge. And yeah. ha- have, you, have either of you seen The Rental? Or no,
2: I have I, not seen it yet.
3: I'm familiar with it, and there are several. I haven't seen it yet. I'm a, I'm like I'm very competitive, and there's a mm. lot of other movies. It was like The Color of Space coming out, and I was like, oh yeah damn it like really why right now Richard Stanley's going to come out of retirement or whatever <laughs> right now and make that movie that ha- you know that's kind of you know it, it plays in the beach house and then I, it's Kinda like cosmic, and Dave yeah. Franco's going to make a movie and then there's another one called Sea Fever and I was like yeah, I was oh, going to ask if you heard
2: of Sea Fever <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, but but the thing
2: is, like like Terry said, though they have similar like thematic elements, but they are all executed so drastically differently that it's amazing to like. I was like, I love watching all these movies that are obviously playing off of each other, but have such awesome like creative spins on it. At least in my perspective, I love doing that. Like, I think it's amazing.
3: So, I, I mean, I'm going to watch the rental the day that I can, you
1: know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm ready
3: for it, but you know, it's, it's like one of those, you know, I'm just competitive, but I think it's, a, it's, I get an, that, though. it's it's like an indie film trope to a little bit, it, you know, it's like, that's you, when you isolate people and, and it's like, it's going to be, you can do it on a budget. Cause it's one location mm. limited. And that was also yeah. something with, with the beach house where it's like, I wanted to take that and then just push it as far as I could in terms of what the audience would think about you know in terms of beyond just interpersonal it's going from interpersonal relationships to you know a cosmic sense of of self sorry back to the rental not to talk about my movie more <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it, it's 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 weird because uh, again there's some like similarities but the last half it's very it feels very jarring in terms mm. of what happens okay yeah, I mean I, I can't really talk about yeah. <laughs> why it does or does not work for with for me because I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But it's it's a good movie. I think I think it's definitely I'm I'm glad I'm glad it's coming out. I think I think it'll do really well for for IFC. It's just yeah, it's um it's not what I was expecting, but man, mm. the cast is is really awesome. I mean you have Allison Bree and you have Dan Stevens. I yeah. mean Heck God yeah. I love Dan Stevens. Yeah. I, it, he is so every single movie I, I see him and he is he looks completely different. I don't know what it is about that man, but yeah. So I watched that, and then also I'm I'm reading f- uh for a different uh, podcast I'm guesting on. I'm reading Black House by Stephen King. Okay. And Peter Straub. Um, I read it when it first came out, like in 2001, I think it was, and it's the sequel to their book, The Talisman.
1: Mm. Um,
0: but it's kind of a sequel in the same way that like Doctor Sleep is a sequel to The Shining, where it's other than the character, it doesn't really
3: okay
0: have a direct continuation for it. Have either of you read
2: Black House?
3: No, I haven't. I, I read The Talisman. Okay, years and years and years ago. Uh, yeah, kind of when I was in my Stephen King phase, which will come up with Pet Cemetery. But no, I haven't. I haven't read that one.
0: Yeah, so it's it's the character from uh, The Talisman, Jack Sawyer. He's grown up. He doesn't remember anything about his time when he was backpacking across the United States to save his his mom and it's very bleak uh i mm. forgot how dark it is cuz like the the they basically the it's about a serial killer that's basically emulating the methods of albert fish no. <laughs> ew so, what
2: the fuck are you serious
0: yeah the serial killer child rapist and cannibal from like the early 1900s um <laughs> So it's it's very fucking grim. Yeah no
2: shit. There is no way you can emulate <laughs> Albert Fish without it being grim. He's a fucking <laughs> weirdo. He yeah. lit his own ass on fire because he enjoyed the feeling of pain. <laughs> like, he stuck needles in his dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Albert Fish, which is weird yeah. to say. But anyway, sorry. So, yeah. So
0: it's it's kind of like this, it's a small town and then this this killer is going around and then abducting children and murdering them and devouring parts of their body.
2: Yo, what the fuck? <laughs>
0: uh, it's I forgot, like... Like I I remember reading it back in two thousand and one and being like so like put off by it because it was I was like oh it's a sequel to the talisman because the talisman's like this fantasy and it's like you know it's it's bleak and there's some darkness to it but it's like a fantasy novel and then I get to this and it's like a fucking serial killer that's killing and eating kids
2: <laughs> um so yeah it sounds fine <laughs> it's um Just kidding.
0: I'm enjoying it. it Question mark a lot more than I kind of <laughs> expected to, um, given the, the subject matter. Rereading it, but uh, yeah, man, man, it's it's <laughs> it's fucking bleak. Um, but what about you, Mary Beth?
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> follow
2: that. I don't know how to follow that one <laughs> Here's a all. grenade. I have not been reading or consuming any media about Albert Fish. Um, what? Unfortunately, but I did watch an awesome indie movie called Toad Road.
3: Oh, yeah, I've seen that.
2: And I know that a lot of people don't like this movie, but I absolutely adored it. Toad Road is about these friends that do stupid shit. And it kind of focuses on this one guy and, and a girl who get into this relationship. And then they go onto Toad Road when you walk through. It's like the seven gateways to hell. It's like a very basic overview. And so it's shot it looks like found footage it's not a found footage movie but it's shot in such a way that it looks like it is like in terms of that kind of their taste style where it looks like mm. someone amateur is operating the camera or it's like someone's recording it on their cell phone but i think i really liked it and a lot of the things i've read about it have been like if you had a friend group like this when you were growing up this movie will resonate with you probably <laughs> and i very much had a friend group like this where like in college, where we were a bunch of hippies, and like I had a lot of friends who did a lot of drugs and like did really stupid shit. And it was like weirdly endearing and sad. and it becomes a little bit of a story about addiction, and I have lost a couple friends to addiction. So it is actually a very emotionally effective and strange film. Mm. And I had heard a lot of negative things about it, and I thought it was going to be kind of boring. But it, I thought it was very interesting and beautiful. But yeah. that was just my experience with it. I can see why people might be bored by it, because it's not like as horror-y as you might want it to be. But I I absolutely loved it, and I think it's worth giving a try. Um, don't go in expecting like a full-on horror monster movie, but go in expecting something very sad about like the horrors of being a young adult who is like so lost and not sure what to do with themselves and like what that kind of manifests as.
3: Hmm. I, I saw it years ago. I, I really liked it too. I think I, I really like movies that kind of treat the supernatural in new kind of ways. Yeah, and I,
2: exactly. And
3: and that one, you know, the only I watched, do you see starfish? Do you know that movie? I
2: absolutely
3: <laughs> love starfish. <laughs> I, I, I did too. I, I love, I thought it did something. I thought those movies had something in common where they're really, You know, and it's been years since I saw Toad Road, but I remember I love the poster for it. And I just, I really thought it was a really good, little, weird movie. And Starfish has a similar, they're very idiosyncratic, they feel very personal. And uh, I just, yeah, yeah, I like both of those films very much. Exactly.
2: I really liked the personal feel of Toad Road and the fact that it felt like someone was making almost a documentary about their friends rather than a fictional horror movie. So i that's the big one i've really enjoyed and we talked about relic last week but really like i watched that movie twice and that like i just everyone needs to please watch relic it made me cry and i love horror movies that make me cry so but those are the two big things oh actually i can talk about this book i just bought so i bought a book called the vampire film from nosferatu to true blood i bought the fourth edition of it and it's this giant book about vampires and i'm super excited to dive into it because and i can actually talk about this i'm writing a chapter for a book about vampires and specifically i'm writing about representations of masculinity um of in a uh, the vampire's kiss and in american psycho so i am excited. very wow. excited to delve <laughs> into like corporate america becoming um a symbol for vampirism and sucking the life dry of the working class
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> that sounds cool.
2: <laughs> but yeah, so this book looks it's I didn't realize how big it was in a good way and it's like a really awesome compendium of the history of the vampire film from like Damn. Nosferatu to this was last updated in 2011. So it's got like, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in there. So if you're looking for a good book about vampire movies, I would recommend it.
0: What about you, Jeff?
3: Uh, I, I, the movie that's like, I watched a film on Hulu, I think called VHS. Yes. Are you guys familiar with that film? Oh, oh
2: I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
3: It's interesting. And and I kind of loved it. And then I was kind of irritated by not irritated, by it's really, so it's all, it, the the whole concept is that these kids find an old VHS tape that's been recorded over, you know, over and over time. And so you're watching that tape. So different, like commercials come through and exercise videos and kind of TV shows and then there's the kids filming themselves and then it gets into it, it it's it's very funny I mean it's a lot of the guys that were in the state or in Reno 911 are in it so there's kind of oh, that,
1: okay.
3: there's kind of like a, a mr. show or SCTV like or it's you know it's an absurd very funny movie and then it goes off and there's like a found footage sequence that is actually Pretty freaky, and I was like, you know, it, oh, it's oh hell movies. yeah, yeah. I would I would recommend it. It's very short; it's only like seventy six minutes. And there's part of me that was like, I wish this was just a channel on TV that just always played <laughs> these kind of like weird, you know. And they use a lot of the old, you know, VHS kind of distortion is it in an yeah. effect to it? It, it. You know, it's not. It, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm kind of resistant to be like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. You know, I, I, it's definitely a good it's a good hour and 16 minutes, you know, well spent, especially, uh, and there's a couple other like kind of absurd movies that, that are kind of similar, like greener grass where they're just always swinging for the fences. Like every Mm -hmm. scene is a joke or has a payoff and not all of them connect, but you know, I, I, you know, goddamn, if I'm, if I'm going to stop someone from trying. Hell yeah. And I'm, I'm reading a book called blind Sight, which is by this, uh, science fiction author named Peter Watts. And it kind of, resembles event horizon in a strange way it's about Ooh. yeah it, it, i mean but not it, it's it's very strange it's it's i'm having some of these I, I like reading a lot of i like reading fiction that challenges me and mm-hmm. he it's 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 in the future i can't some things i can't quite he's kind of i haven't finished it yet so he's kind of withholding some information about some of the main characters because they're all kind of genetically modified or they, they've had these like one is a a a, legit, a schizophrenic that has four distinct personalities that take over. And then there's one of the characters and, and Mary Beth feel like this. The captain is like a vampire, like a legit vampire. <sighs> <who's>,
2: Hell yeah.
3: <laughs> way, way smarter than everybody else. And so that's why I, the, the whole crew is very skeptical of the vampire. Cause they're always like, he's looking at us like we're lunch. And then he's, he's like evolved. And I can't quite, I don't quite know why everyone is on this Ship And then some alien or, you know, it's like a first contact story where an alien ship has come into our solar system and they send these people out to go kind of, you know, explore it. And uh they go, it, it's just, it's very kind of this, uh, a little bit of a rival. It's just like, you know, humans trying to communicate with, uh, with a, a truly, truly alien sensibility. It, it, it's, yeah, I read another book by him called Starfish, actually, weirdly enough, that's about yeah. the bottom of the ocean and... Has some has some more beach house similarities, but I actually read it after we finished the movie, and I was like, "Oh man, I should have read this in prep." But That's uh, he's so a, cool. Yeah, he's. A, right. I like I like a lot. of – I try to read a lot of contemporary science fiction. Uh, that you know, I like. I read. I try to read a little a little bit of everything.
2: Cool. Well, okay. So we've talked about what we have been watching and enjoying recently, but Jeff, what movie are we talking about
3: today? We're we're going to talk about Pet Cemetery
2: it is the place where devoted pets are laid to rest
1: what did we do tonight judd what we did was a cigarette but nothing buried there Ah! ever rests in peace come back to me gage paramount pictures presents Stephen king's chilling bestseller pet cemetery rated r now playing at theaters everywhere
2: Eager to start afresh, the young Dr. Lewis Creed and his family, wife Rachel, their daughter Ellie, and their three-year-old toddler Gage, move to their new home in the small rural town of Ludlow, Maine, alarmingly close to a busy highway. After tragedy strikes, Lewis discovers the allure of the ancient burial ground behind his home that has the power to raise the dead. And (laughs) Lewis will sometimes learn that dead is better.
0: Sometimes dead is better.
2: All right, Jeff, what's your – we need your dead
3: Crandall. Uh, uh, the Fred Gwynn, where he oh, he's so good. I I, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes, he's like sometimes. the main accent is the hardest. It's like the hardest accent it's to do the, in, uh, in, yeah. in the country. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah.
2: Um, so very excited to talk about Pet Cemetery. So Jeff, how old were you when you first saw this movie? Paint us a picture of your your first experience with Pet Cemetery.
3: Okay, all right. So this is actually. A very the brown family comes into this um i, I was a very <laughs> i was a very avid reader when i was young and i i think my my aunt who has, has she's passed away but um she was reading stephen king and i must have been like 10 years old and i started reading him and this was in the late 80s and pet cemetery was the first stephen king book that i read and i was okay. oh wow and then, kind of like with Stephen King, you get addicted to him, and so yes, I, I like sure bought do. a bunch of them, and I was reading them. And my parents at that point were like, "I, you know, he's reading, so that's that's great, you know." Oh and then <laughs> I, I was famous for really wanting to see R-rated movies when my parents wouldn't let me. I have an older brother, and he was always like. You could see anything you wanted. You know, I—I I was the one who was repressed. Like I couldn't see anything. And like you, they—they—they they, they bent everything for you. And then, um, oh my so god, pe- that's
0: totally me and my brother.
3: That's Except also, brother that's the also
2: I'm the oldest, and I that that's my brother's all the fucking time. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're like you got away with murder. They, but they he were continued so rough. to get
2: away with murder. I'm like the fuck, <laughs> you got away with too much. Like I was like on like on a short leash. Not that mm-hmm. bad, but like compared to what they get to do,
3: Jesus. <laughs> Um, but I, there were other, there were always like a movie that would come out and I would really want to go see it. And like the lost boys was a big one in our household when I was like, I think I was nine Mm. or 10. And I was like, it's like, you know, mom and dad, I really, really want to go see the lost boys. Like it's R rated. You're not going to see that. And I would beg them and beg them and beg them. And they, they didn't take me to the lost boys. And so Pet Cemetery, I guess it came out in 89. So I must've been, uh, 11, And I was, you know, it was one of those things where it's like every morning, it's like, Mom and Dad, it's five days till Pet Cemetery. Are we ready to go? And they're like, I don't (laughs) know about this one. I was like, like, I've already read the book. Come on. And so we went opening night, Valparaiso, Indiana on a a packed Friday night. And I don't, I talked to my mom about it. And I was like, did you, had you read the book before we saw the movie or after? And she couldn't remember which. And so I think she might've read it afterwards. So we went to go see it. And then... The movie, um, you know, it's pretty scary. I think for a kid, it's pretty adult and uh, it it has a place in the Brown household because it's the only film uh, my parents have ever walked out on. And it got to the point where Judd Crandall, you know, when he gets his from Gage. My father like looked over at my mother and was like we are out of here. And he <laughs> he took us out of the theater and I was mortified like the whole audience was like seeing us leave and we got back and all and it's like he put all my Stephen King books on the table and we sat there and he's like what in the hell are you reading?
1: <laughs> <laughs> shit.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> And, and he took them all away, and it was kind of like, oh. I, I like Stephen King Daddy. And he's like, no, that is not for you. And then my brother – my brother didn't come, and he was like, oh, man, Jeff is in trouble. And like – but then, then my mother read Pet Cemetery later, and I remember having a very – Kind of a, a conversation with her, and she was like, "That book has like it really conveys evil." And I was like, "What do you, What do you mean?" And she's like, "There's something about that. There's a force that was drawing these people in just mm-hmm. to to prey on them." That she was like, and my mother was raised Catholic. To ah, her, that yes. the, no. the Exorcist, she said, she's like, "That is the scariest movie ever made." And mm-hmm. it's like because we thought it was going to happen. And my father's like, "Psycho's the scariest <laughs> movie ever made." It's a brown brown debate. Um and that, but I always remember that and the the movie. I mean, I think I had nightmares for weeks, primarily because of Zelda.
1: Rachel, is that you?
2: I finally came back for you, Rachel. I'm going to twist your back like mine, so you'll never get out of bed again. <laughs> Never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again! Never get out of bed again!
3: Ah, <laughs> um, uh, yes. Zelda. The voice of Zelda, I think it was a man playing it the was. role. It was. So it kind of does, it did these weird, you know, it, it's a very, it's, it's a horror, it's very scary. And when I saw it, you know, that, that that it stayed with me for years. And I, I think I finally saw it when I was in high school. And then I kind of went back through kind of my, my Netflix to see if I, the last time I'd seen it before I watched it last week was um like about 15 years ago. And I, I remember still liking it. The, I, I don't think it quite held up, but it, it Zelda, yeah. the voice of Zelda stayed with me for, for years. And I think there's an element of Zelda in the beach house there. I definitely, and there's a shot of, the woods it has a blue glow i don't know if you guys noticed it but i was like holy shit like that's our movie like i didn't even i didn't even think about it you know yeah <laughs> but yeah it's a very personal movie for me
2: yeah
0: so did 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 you not how long until you were able to read stephen king again after that that moment
3: oh um, not too long. They kind of okay. bent and I was like, you know, <laughs> Eyes of the Eyes of the Dragon. I was like, that was like, was like that's a book for kids. He wrote it for his kids, Dad. Like, how bad could that be? You know, and- You know,
0: that's that's the book that got me into reading Stephen King was Eyes of the Dragon.
3: Really? I yeah. was, there was the run, it's like from Pet Cemetery to Needful Things. I think I read that was when mm-hmm. I was like really into Stephen okay. King. Um, But they, they, you know, they relinquished it quickly because, again, it's like the kids reading, like, who am I to stop him from reading? Um, And then it's like Stephen King got into Dean Koontz, got into Clive Barker. And then it was like William Burroughs and stuff, which is, you know, they're they're all kind of, you know, just more and more levels of extremity, you know, at at a very precocious age. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and watching it again was interesting. And I watched that and I watched the remake kind of back to back uh, just to kind of. Kind of, you know, raise my head, and I kind of liked them the same. I didn't, I, I definitely didn't like the, I, the movie. I still felt that there was a couple shots of Zelda. There was like two shots of Zelda in particular where I was like, "Oh, that works. That's that's freaky." And Judd Crandall's death is so nasty. Oh, I just it's like,
2: awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's horrible. So
0: I, you know, I, I can't, I, <laughs> I can't take Zelda seriously. I, I really can't. Well, okay, she... let's
2: clear the air here. Terry does not like pets. <laughs> I, I,
3: I don't know when did, did you see? I... Terry doesn't like this movie. <laughs> I don't. It's I fine. don't... You're, you're not offending me.
0: <laughs> I will say that this this last watch, I enjoyed it a lot more than I ever have wow. before. <laughs> but I still do not really care for this movie. And I, I, I was trying to think back to when I, when I saw it, because, um, when I'm, when talking, when I'm hearing you talk, Jeff, I'm like, oh yeah, this kind of reminds me a little bit of my childhood where it's like, there was a time where my parents started restricting the movies that I would watch. And so I got into reading and I would read a lot of Stephen King because my parents were like, oh, he's reading a book. This is good. <laughs> so I started like down this really long path of reading all of these Stephen King novels that were, Way above my head is like a. uh, I would think I was in fifth grade when I when I started reading. Oh, totally. Um, Yep, same. (laughs) So like, Pet Cemetery was is was one of my favorite books growing up. Um, I, which is so weird to say, my favorite book growing up, but it really was. I really really enjoyed it because it reminded me. I mean, I wouldn't be able to put pieces together, but it reminded me of. When I, when I was thinking back on it of like some of the EC comics or like, you know, the, the tales from the crypt where it's like this kind of almost darkly comedic way of destroying this, this person because he does something wrong. And so like they get their comeuppance in the end. And like I, I remember the way the book ended. I was like, wow, this is the best book I've ever read when I was a kid. <laughs> and so before I even saw the movie and before I even read the book, I remember seeing the poster. Uh, and the box art of this movie and it scared mm. the crap out of me. Just the, the picture of Pascal on the front with like the, the blood on his head. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it terrified me as a kid. Like I remember, Oh God, that movie looks, looks so scary. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I saw it until I was in my teens and it just, it never worked for me. I've, I've never really liked this, this I, movie.
3: I'm going to, I'm going to tell you I, in both, I think the remake. I I had a big problem with both the remake and the original. Watching it this time, it has Roger Ebert used to talk about the idiot plot. Oh, where the the, the movie it, you know the movie doesn't work if someone's not an idiot, and it's like why in the hell would he bury the cat? Why would Judge Sh- be like you know what? it's never worked before but this time i think what would be a great idea is for you to bury your your daughter's dead cat
1: in the <laughs> pet know, cemetery
3: that's that's the
0: thing that never worked for me in the original but i will say that it did kind of work for me in the new one because of the fact that there's like that kind of pull from the swamp like originally he's gonna bury it in the in, in the remake judd is like we're gonna bury it in the pet cemetery i got a spot for you and then they're in the cemetery he's about ready to start digging and then he looks to the deadfall and it's almost as if like the the swamp is like pulling him
2: yeah
1: Ellie really loved that cat didn't she more than anything and you love Ellie of course
0: So follow me. But in the original it's just like,
2: maybe there's a better way.
0: Oh yeah, I got this great idea for you and I'm like,
2: do you though? Do you really shut it? Well, wasn't yeah. it wasn't it because they helped his wife who was who was had a heart attack, right?
0: In the book, yeah. In the book.
2: In the book it was. And I like that made a lot of sense to me, but in the movie, I was like I in rewatching it today. I was like, wait. Yeah. What?
3: <laughs> the, the, yeah, i was like didn't you
2: just tell him it was bad
3: yeah there's there's a there's a big hole there where you're just yes. like why would you ever do that you know yeah and, yeah and and the the lead actors is a little he's he's not oh great either he's
2: bad
0: terrible yeah. he's terrible he's just like a, he's, he's like, like
2: a kind of a hot guy from the 80s who has no idea he what he's hot. doing like yeah, he he's definitely smiling. was like hot
0: dad for me but i'm like no you are not a good actor You cannot, you cannot carry the emotional weight of this movie.
3: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, he's like, it's a very strange, awkward. I wonder if the actor was like, it was like, it's a weird role. It it didn't like, I was just like, wow, that's, that's rough going right there. And the, and the Victor Pascal thing is kind of like, okay,
2: let's talk about Victor Pascal because I was texting Terry about this today and I was like, I, I think I'm realizing that the Pascal thing is really confusing
3: to my brain. the supernatural rules uh, are are not, you know, I don't know. I always, they, they don't work. I don't, I don't understand. You know, I didn't, the movie, I don't remember the book. It's been so long since I read the book. But yeah. like, I, I was having a lot of trouble in both the remake and the the new one. I was, or, and the original, I was like, what, so why, you know, what, the Wendigo and what and why is this happening? And I was just a little like, eh, I don't know. I, I wasn't super into it. It didn't, it didn't age well. Um, but yeah, I will, Victor I will say that I
2: think I liked more than both of you, but, um, yes. But yeah, Victor, the Victor Pascal, um, and watching it this time, I was, I was like, wait, hold on. I don't quite understand the link. Like I get the link, but like, I still don't totally understand like how they made the leap where like Pascal was connected to Lewis.
3: He, Am I he just said, stupid? he says his like, name when he dies. I It was something like, it's, it's. I think in the book – it's like one of those things where in the book you could probably buy it a bit easier. Yeah, because in the the
2: book it was Mm -hmm. because he was running across the road. He was going for a run or something and he was running on that road, the same road where they live, and he got hit by a truck. And I think there was like some connection between the location and the truck and like that whole area being pretty like spiritually slash like supernaturally, paranormally active. And I think that's why – um, there was just like some kind of link forged by the his method of death and where it happened. I think, if I remember do you remember Terry?
0: <laughs> well, I think in the book also there's kind of like this idea, because you know, he was writing this and I I think that it kind of ties a little bit into his his grand plan of like his universe that he's creating where it's like oh, yeah. I think I think Ellie had the shining. <laughs> um and I think Oh
2: shit. That's a good point. Bo- I didn't even think about that.
0: And I think that like he probably had it a little bit as well. He didn't have it as much as 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 Ellie oh. did, but like so like they're they're seeing the, the ghost. And I because I, like in in the book, there's like all these little little bit more connections to maybe yeah that they're that she is sort of like uh, little Doc was in in The mm-hmm. Shining.
2: Okay, that makes sense because so I, I read so last year. I haven't I hadn't seen this movie until last year because as a kid growing up. Pet Cemetery was this like the movie everyone talked about as being terrifying and I love animals so much that like I refuse to Mm. watch it and I also didn't realize it was about like kids dying I thought it was just about animals coming back and attacking people like a a (laughs) horde of animals like I have this image in my head that Pet Cemetery was about like a horde of like angry dead like rabbits and raccoons and dogs and cats like attacking a house like, that's what I thought about cemetery was for a very long time, because I refused to look it up or watch it. <laughs> so, like, I had this whole story built up in my head that was incorrect. But then I watched it today, and so to get, like, big sad, my cat went to the hospital yesterday. So I was watching this movie, and I was like, this is a bummer.
1: <laughs>
2: I was like, this is a big fucking bummer. <laughs> but then I was like, but churches, like, I love church, even though church is a dick. Like – yeah. I, I love Church. But it, it is so funny cuz I didn't want to watch when I was a kid because I was so connected to animals. I like was so scared of it. And then I watched la- I, li- I listened to the audiobook last year and I watched the old one or the this original one in preparation for the new one to come out. So like actually I can credit the new one for getting me more into pet cemetery. The,
3: the new the new one's weird. You know, I I thought that... <laughs> Well, that they changed the ending completely. In in a way, I kind of like applaud them for that because it's like, I just you know I didn't I watched it in my house. I didn't see it with with a you know in a theater, Uh but I think that. The the expectations and kind of changing that if I and I knew I for some reason I think I knew that they they had done that and that did I actually I kind of liked that I was like oh well you know way to go I love Amy Simons as an actor yes like, I can I can watch her in pretty much anything she's just a, I think she's just a really compelling actress I you know I love the Upstream Color and so she, I I like that aspect and I love the scene in the remake where Church comes back like he bar- he takes him out to the woods and he comes you know right before. Uh, you know, Ellie is killed, where the, the cat goes on this journey back. And I don't think, I don't remember, I don't think that's in the book, but I thought that mm-hmm. was a really, I think yeah. that was my favorite scene in the remake. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I liked them both about the same. I, I felt that, so one thing I did, reme- I kind of remembered a bit better is, is that there's a real thing about, a f- the, you know, the weight of a father. It's like kind of the fear of a father t- telling their kids about death and also yeah. the resp- being an irresponsible parent. I think that that is like this writ large. And I felt that that aspect of it was kind of removed from the remake a little bit and was still kind of there in the, um, in the original, uh, cause I thought the original played it pretty close from what I remember to the book. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: kind I, of. I, honestly, yeah. that's kind of, <laughs> I kind of think that's my problem. It, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think Stephen King is a good screenwriter, mm-hmm. um, And so the times when he's like written or readapted his work for, for screen, they just, it never works for me. And the the fact that he wrote this, like I can see all the, like the, the 1989 movie is, is fairly, um, in tune with the book in terms of like plot. I just, I feel that it's missing so much of what made the, the book so powerful. Like there's, there's this, there's this fear in in lewis in the book of well and and they, they he kind of uses it as a very small plot point in the movie but it's it's this idea of like being castrated we're like it, it's a huge thing that he doesn't want to castrate church in the book like it's this big huge it thing is, that he'll yeah. never he'll never be the same he that he is now that he'll be completely different and even when in the book when he's like climbing over to go dig up gauge he's like looking at the spikes in the in the Uh, the cemetery gate and is like, man, one false move and I'm going to lose a testicle. Like he's, he's so concerned about this idea of like of masculinity and this idea of, of keeping this nuclear family together that it's, it's kind of, it it makes me laugh in terms of, of the book because he, he does everything in his power to try to keep this nuclear family together, even though what he's doing is so not going to help him out. I mean, from the, you know, you start the yeah. movie with him, perfect family, husband, wife, two kids, daughter, son, cat living in this beautiful house. He's a doctor. She's a stay at home mom. Like you have like, in, especially in the eighties, this like idea of what the nuclear family would be. And he wants so desperately to keep that together that he's willing to do anything to not face the fact that he can never have that again.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that bothers me with Stephen King sometimes because, well, one, I understand what you mean about the screenwriting. I think I, what I love about King's writing first is that he does he gets really into his characters' heads, and mm-hmm. I think that's difficult on screen, um, especially if you're it writing. Is. I mean, I don't know anything about writing screenplays, but if you're writing the novel, I feel like it has to be so hard to like remove that interiority from your scripts and like f- figure out how to achieve that kind of like introspection. But what I think bothers me about a lot of his work, and I think, uh, Tyree, I was telling you about this today, I was just like, a lot of his movies, or a lot of his books are just about like fragile masculinity and fragile male egos, which is very much, I think, him being, you know, in the 70s and 80s, like he was obviously working through some shit (laughs) (laughs) himself as a writer. And it's just, it's interesting, but also kind of exhausting, just for me as like, a woman in horror reading his books and watching his movies. It's a little bit, um, repetitive, I think. And I get a little bit bored. <laughs> I, like, I don't know I, that's terrible because I think it is really important to write about fragile masculinity and like these problems that men have, because, you know, there's a lot of issues with not giving men interiority and giving male characters like space, like for nuance and growth. But I sometimes feel like those characters in the movie, like in the movie adaptations, they're so flat, they become so flat, if that makes sense.
3: Totally. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like this kind of that aspect of it, of the masculinity of, of uh, Lewis is, you know, it, 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 I didn't even think about it when watching it this time. I I primarily like, I mean, when, if I read Stephen King now and I, I don't, I don't read it that often. I think I've read thinner. It just, for me, I, I when I'm writing a screenplay, I, I was adapting a novel actually uh, a couple months ago. I try to read novels that are fast paced and mm. um page turners and Stephen King is one of the best page turners. Like you can yeah. I think yeah. I reread the, the Tommy Knockers a couple years ago and it's like an eight hundred page book that I read in like five days. You know, just and that that's a real skill as a writer, you know, it's a couple yeah. A couple of noir writers kind of do that too, like Lawrence Block. You just you pick them up and you just turn the pages. But I'm not—I don't even think about the depth of his books in a weird way uh, anymore. Like I read thinner, I wasn't even—I mm. I, I wasn't picking up on the nuances. I was reading it more for the action and more for the—you okay. know—I wanted to seep into my writing so that every screenplay I write, want I want the pages to fly. Okay. and so that, that's more my attraction to Stephen King mm. than some of these. But I think he's yeah. very much the Pet Cemetery and The Shining especially is, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and, and being a, you know, I think there's a lot about being a failure. It's like, and what Terry, what you were saying about, you know, they have this perfect family and he's doing anything to keep it together, but it's like, he has, he has all these perfect elements around him, but still he bought the house that's close to the road. That's going to put his yeah. kids in jeopardy. So he's still, you know, he's a, he's a fuck up, even though he's got everything laid out in front of him. And he's still, and I think, King was probably you know King was kind of an outcast and was wrestling with some of these things, uh you know especially with the shining too, where it's another situation where it's just like putting his family in jeopardy yeah uh, i really i I like the metaphors in him and and um actually it's like you know it's kind of a pet cemetery, even though I don't want to watch it again anytime soon <laughs> it would make a it'd make a good double feature with the brood with Cronenberg's oh the brood
2: yes, that's such a oh, good yeah. double feature.
3: And and, because he's a Cronenberg, especially in that one, he gets, you know, he gets much more abstract, but that's very much about divorce. It's about the, the, what effect divorce is going to have on his children. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a similarity between the nuclear, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and and I I don't, especially in our, in America right now. And even before the pandemic, which is, you know, going to be a defining moment of our time. I think the, the aspect of keeping up with the Joneses, I can't speak for you guys, but that doesn't really apply to to my wife and right? I. We're like, no. who, are the, who are the Joneses? Like, we don't know who they are. You <laughs> don't want to like, know any of these people. I also feel like
2: my partner and I actively try to reject that, like, at all times. Yeah, <laughs> like, we have two cats and we
3: refuse to get have children.
2: Like, <laughs> like we are actively working against that stereotype.
3: I mean, but isn't that – it's a uh, the American dream in a sense is, yeah. is the Joneses. Yeah. And, and I think that you know, maybe – what I think we're seeing right now is, you know, we have to, we have to reevaluate what the American dream is. Yeah. Stephen, but Stephen King, I think is, was dealing with that very, very explicitly in, in a lot of those early, Mm -hmm. in in that kind of first wave of his books.
0: For sure. The thing is, is like uh, this, that's something I picked up this time watching this movie that made me maybe appreciate it a little bit more is the way that like, it uses this, this idea of of the kind of American dream marriage is like a foundation, because the only other characters that we we see is Missy. Always thought I'd be lucky to marry a doctor. Wish I had a doctor around with my stomach pain so bad. <laughs> Guess I'll never be lucky. Hell, I ain't married anyone. Who is childish? She even makes a, a mention the fact that she's, you know, so unlucky she's never been married, and she's fighting cancer and she ends up hanging herself so like this is the it's like alternative the saddest
2: thing ever and like just so random in the movie
0: it yeah. is but, but it's also like it and i don't believe that missy was in the book because i think she kind of took over the the role of of the of judd's wife that was exercised from from the yeah. movie but like i mean that's that's what in that's what is the alternative to having this wife and the kids and the cat and the, the house is we have poor Missy who ends up hanging herself alone because she can't deal with the fact that, you know, she's, she's dying of cancer. And so she takes it into her own hands. It's, it's, it's such a, it was such like a, 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 a represented, a representation of what the eighties was in terms of like, you know, having that little house with in the in the suburbs, away from the city, in this small little town, and how quaint it is, and how ultimately yeah. it's kind of it devolves and destroys itself.
2: Well, yeah, and they're like, oh yeah, we left Chicago, the big city of Chicago, mm-hmm. and like moved to this tiny town quaint. in Maine. Yeah, quaint town in Maine, and it's always just like the rumination. The ru- the thing I think that stuck out to me when reading the book, listening to the book was like this rumination about making sure the move was the right thing to do. Because that's something mm-hmm. I've dealt with with my family is like moving when you're like, your kids are kind of aware of it and moving and like doing a big move. And like, it, it like, I think watching this as an adult affected me more. I think when I would watch it as a kid, I don't think it would have been like, it would have been terrifying, but watching it as an adult, it gets like, upsets me. It makes me very sad. Um I think because one, I can't I, – it's stereotypical. I can't handle death of children in movies. Like, I don't know why, but, like, every time with the gauge, it just breaks my heart. But also, it's just, like, the deep sadness of being a parent in general and, like, how isolating and lonely being a parent can be. And I think that really gets to me when I watch this movie. And I think that's why it makes me so upset and I still enjoy it because there's, like, this really awful melancholy to it.
3: It's. I, I think it's all. I mean, yeah. It's a, it's a very dark, you know. And and I think the the gauge. You know, first off, the casting of the kid who plays Gauge oh, is just so It's small. like you, the cutest kid in the world, right? and He turns into this demon from hell. I mean, there there some of those scenes though, where he's like throwing the kid around though, and, and are horrible. They just look terrible. But I think. I know. <laughs> I, I just...
0: found myself laughing so. <laughs> oh,
3: hard. it's so bad. Not, not good. He,
0: he shows up wearing the top hat and a vaudevillian outfit. Oh, I
3: love it. Shut up. <laughs> I Ugh. was
0: dying. I'm like,
3: okay, this is camp. We I, have now
0: entered camp.
3: The, and I, well, there's, I think the the funeral scene is, in, it's like bonkers. Like, oh, uh,
2: the funeral scene is bananas.
1: I hope you rotten hell. Where were you when he was playing in the road? You're sticking shit. You killer, of am <laughs> oh,
3: Daddy! Like yeah. where where what are what planet are we on and uh, you know I, it, it's just like it doesn't doesn't quite work but uh, I think that was something also going back to my experience with my parents in the theater I think also the fact that it was Herman Munster oh. is is Jud and I think my father because it was my father who made us leave and I think that and I love Fred Gwynn in the movie but that murder is so nasty yeah it, it really is so base. And I was like talking about it with actually a, a friend of mine, and we and I was like, and he has two kids that are a little bit older, and they're and they're very cute. And I was like, I wouldn't watch that movie, man. I mean, it's like you don't you don't want to think about your kids like biting out your throat. It's just like oh,
0: horrible. Like speaking of that scene, what 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 it jumped out at me this time watching it was how much it felt like a callback to Night of the Living Dead, mm. with the girl in the oh, in the basement, right, right, yeah. because like. Super sweet, and she was super sweet, and coming forward, and then she's like biting her mom and eating her mom, and it it the the way it was shot. <laughs> watching this time, I was like, oh, this is definitely like a kind of a Night of Living Dead callback or an homage, I think. <laughs>
3: managed uh, Jim Jarmish's The Dead Don't Die and so Ooh, it was kind of, cool. yeah so, so it was it was a great great experience I mean it was just such a you know such so cool but the huge reference was to Night of the Living Dead in the movie and so it was like driving around in the Catskills trying to find a farm that looks like the farm from Night of the oh, Living shit. Dead it's like Just, just it was just an amazing experience. It's like Beats work. Like, how awesome is that? You know. Yeah. Uh, um, But it was, it was really. I I really enjoyed doing that. But I, I. That's a super awesome call about Night of Living Dead and Pet Cemetery. I didn't even. I never thought about it. It is kind of a. It, it is like a zombie movie, though, isn't it? In a, in a yeah. Weird way. Yeah. I
0: mean, the dead come back to life and start eating people. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a zombie <laughs> movie. But you know, it, it, would we kind of put when I we like to like tease out on on Twitter and people will respond like how, you know how the movie scared them and so many people it was Zelda right and I she she never it never worked for me but I'm telling you the last few times I've watched this movie I think Shits Creek has ruined it for me have <laughs> because what. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna share these, and then we'll we'll post them on on Twitter. Are those the images? Oh, but
2: oh, like, I know what you're talking about.
0: here's here's a GIF, and I'm putting it in a little chat of of uh, Zelda sitting is up.
2: It, is is it David? No,
0: this is a of Zelda, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you watch that, and then <laughs> you watch this, and it is totally Alexis's hand move.
3: That sh- that shot is so scary. That's like one of the scary ones of,
1: of but Zelda. But it's not. <laughs>
0: not for me because it's totally Alexis doing her little hand thing from oh Shit's Creek. Oh my god,
2: Terry! No, uh, yes,
0: her little hand thing.
3: I don't. <laughs> Maybe I'm I, don't know. You, I it's
0: ruined for me. I... It's ruined for I me. Don't... I can't because her little hands, floppy little Alexis hands from Shit's Creek. I'm telling mm. you.
2: Well, speaking of Zelda, who the fuck leaves their small child right. to take care of their sick, sick, sick daughter is so frustrating to me. And I know that's the point, but it's just like, the fuck? The trauma of this movie. And it, it is always so interesting. Oh my god, I just forgot her name. The wife's name. Rachel. Rachel. It just like, I'm so glad that the remake did more, like, kind of re- like, focus on her a little bit mm-hmm. more because I always thought her story it was so was much more interesting sorry it just to me it was and i was like i just want to know more about her because it seems like she has all of these like traumas and things going on in her life that i would love to like tap into and understand and it's very it's just weird to me that she like had a really awesome kind of backstory and but then it kind of falls off and she's just kind of a support character and i'm glad though that pet cemetery from 2019 tried to kind of course correct not course correct but like a little bit more like for our especially our time like move towards focusing on her experiences
0: and i don't they've never in in the original one they don't seem like they're really in love like at all and you barely see them like having any kind of romantic interactions with each other until
2: hey they have that one really awkward kiss at the, at the car <laughs> <laughs> Or the little kids, it's like, hey, I kissed you yeah. too. And that's I weird, mean, but. other <laughs> than
0: that, like, there's really no not much like care, caring, and warmth between the two of them until she becomes a zombie and they're making out with
3: her oozing eye at the very end. Yeah, that was a, that was a weird. That's a good. You know, let's hit, let's hit some ooze on this scene. Let's really let's really drive it home. Surprise!
2: This is actually just a movie about how Stephen King wants to fuck dead bodies. <laughs>
1: <What>? <laughs> Silence. I yeah. Yes, didn't didn't
3: didn't get that. that? Maybe you didn't get that (laughs) subtext. Uh, (laughs) I I missed
1: that one. Wow.
2: (laughs) Anyway, wow. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) where
1: do we go from
2: there? Um. (laughs) Do we want to wrap up, Terry? Do we want to give us our ratings out of five? Yes. I'm so glad that that was the final word. Wow.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, wow.
2: I, I feel like that's an accomplishment for me. I feel like
3: you've uncovered something. That's, that's, that's your next book. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. <laughs> Hot take. Um, Terry, how many main accents out of five do you give Pets of a Terry? And what are your final
0: thoughts? Well, questions? as much as I would love to give a lot of main accents, because the main accents in this movie are some of my favorite uh, things... I have to give it a two main accents that maybe mm. sometimes dead is better. Um
3: Round the South.
0: <laughs> the soil of a man's heart. Estonia.
3: <laughs> I, right. What is that what does that mean? That that doesn't that's one of those that doesn't dead is better yeah. I get, but
2: just sit there and s- just think about
3: it. <laughs> the soil of a man's heart Estonia.
0: I <laughs> what 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 <laughs> Why? um i mean this movie has never resonated with me um and i i love i love the book i still think it's one of my my top five king um when i was listening to it with the amazing audiobook that was michael c hall reading it oh. uh, like last year when i was listening to it i just i i think the book is a darkly comedic masterpiece i think it's funny i think the book is really funny as much as like people don't think it is i think it's it's it reminds me of the ac comics the kind of like darkly ironic kind of like getcha humor and i i feel that the i i think i have a a little bit more of an appreciation for this film now i think it's camp i think that there's a lot of i think that there's a lot of camp in this movie towards the end
3: okay i I see i i I hear you i see that i think especially the the vaudeville
2: Gage is I think from
0: the moment of of the <laughs> uh the funeral with the the punch out to the the end it just it turns into this movie that is like it, how bonkers can we go and how much can we like eke out of this and I think you actually see it a little bit more in the the sequel that mary uh, Mary Lambert directed, which I finally watched for the first time today and it's not good but man is it funny as hell it is like it is everything of this movie like amped up to to 10 in terms of like
2: intentionally funny or like funny because it's bad
0: uncertain <laughs> okay <laughs> but it is it's it's a wild it's a wild sequel um but yeah so i i think okay. i think two out of five um for me honestly okay. i i still think the remake is a lot better sorry okay. about it
2: oh, hold on the train is coming oh <laughs> the train is coming to take your take away uh, yeah, i know
0: uh, yeah, I, I, I think the sequel actually, cause one of the things that I think is missing from, from this movie is the fact that we spend in the book so much time in, um, Lewis's head that it all, it starts to take on a sick rationalization in terms of, of why you, you would want to do it. Yeah. And I think the, the, okay. sequ- the, this remake, I think allows us to sit with that decision a lot longer. Because I mean, let, okay. let's, yeah, in the original it. movie, you know, m- once, once, Uh, the kid is back. You know, it's just, it's a slasher. He's going out and killing people. Whereas like in, in the remake, we actually see what happens, what, what is going to happen if this ended up coming to life and he has to deal with this, with what he did. And it's a good portion of the movie where it's just the two of them. And then he tries to create this, he again, tries to create this whole family unit that will fall apart the moment Reality comes in in form of his wife and his his son coming back. So I don't know. I think the this I think the remake is a lot better. But this movie, I, two main accents. Okay.
2: I Okay. What about you, Mary I uh, uh, I I will give Pet Cemetery three main accents out of five. I definitely like this movie a lot more than you, Terry. However, I very conscious of its issues, especially on a rewatch in terms of just like some stony acting and some interesting plot holes but i still am so affected by the melancholy that i think they're still able to portray in the movie that i will still give a three because it breaks my heart when i watch it um it makes me laugh when he reacts to church jumping on him (laughs) like multiple times some of my favorite moments are when he gets scared by church in
0: the bathtub but i love that scene in the
2: bathtub when he drops the rat on him Amazing, but I just think there's something about Pet Cemetery that gets under my skin. That like, even if it's you know parts of it are bad, there's something about it that will always like deeply affect me. So, I'm gonna give it an extra accent for that. Go. You know, for that effect upon my psyche. All right, Jeff, you have the final word. What is your rating?
3: Can I give it a? Ha- I'm gonna give it two and a half. We, we can do two, two and a half. half. There's
2: no. There's really no rules here. <laughs>
3: I, I I, it did definitely did not hold up for me. Uh I thought there was a couple moments that I that did work. I like the design of the mm. of the pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. Of the and, and of the Micmac burial ground or, or the uh I thought that was super cool. I thought that, you know, the Lee Lewis Creed is not good. I like <laughs> and I kind of would I would give the remake two and a half as well. It's like I like mm. I like John Lithgow generally. I like Fred Gwynn more than John Lithgow. I but I like the the uh, the couple. You know, Amy Simons and um, who is it? Uh, um, Jay- what's who's playing Jason? Jason. Oh, I can't.
2: Yeah. I can see his like Sorry. very per- like per- like his j- Jason Jason Clark. Clark, Clark. Yeah. He's got like a very like defined yeah. jaw.
3: I, and I liked the kid I, – I, you know, child actor, actors are really – I like the the girl in the remake that, that when she gets evil. Yeah. I thought that was really, really, really creepy and really, really good. And also, you notice they didn't mention the, the Timmy bainerman her oh, uh, story. Yeah. And it, it was interesting to see what was, you know, in both of them and what was kind of glossed over. Because I think that if they included that in the remake, it would take away from Ellie's transformation. Yeah. But both I, I had I just I didn't buy ever why Judd would would show the pet cemetery to Lewis. In both versions I just did not I was both times like man this is stupid. <laughs> but uh you know I, you know I thought that the original does have some effective moments and it's just it's so part of of me that uh it, it's hard to completely just you know diss it but yeah it it was a bit of a letdown. I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to watch it anytime <laughs> again soon. Yeah. Valid.
0: Um yeah. all right. Well, thank you so much Jeff for for joining us to talk about pet uh, cemetery. Um
3: This is great. Thank
0: you. I it was I've had a great time. I love I love talking so I. about these movies that that scared us as kids cuz I, I just think it's so fun to revisit them as grown-ups. But um what where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up?
3: Well, I mean, you know, we, we got The Beach House on Shutter, yeah. which everyone should should watch. Uh ASAP. Uh, It it should be out by the time this airs, Mm -hmm. so I'd watch that. Um, I, you know, I'm uh, as with everything in film right now, everything's kind of on hold. But I'm writing. I adapted a novel um, that is very is very dark, so I'm not sure what what's going to happen with Mm -hmm. that. Um, But um, I'm I'm writing and and I'm hoping to get the next project off the ground uh, as soon as we emerge from uh, pandemic world. And uh, I'm I have an Instagram. I'm not huge on the social media, but Um, left jab 2019. Uh, so if they want to, if anyone wants to find me on Instagram, it's left jab two zero one nine. And then, um, that's, that's about it. Just go see the beach house. And, uh, you know, thanks again. Thank you guys for having me. It was, it was really nice. Of
2: course. It was awesome to talk to you. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Pet cemetery either 1989 or 2019? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MBMcAndrews. And
0: I'm at Gailey Dreadful.
2: And of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
0: And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe.
2: Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
0: And until next time.